Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. That's the title of my message right there. Stress or de-stress? Or distressed? Stress or distressed? And you'll understand where I'm going with this as I, as I, uh, I get into this. This is something the Lord dropped in my heart a few weeks ago, and I kind of scribbled a, a couple of notes on my little yellow pad, then I walked away from it and forgot about it. And, and then I came back, and I thought, you know, there's, there's, there's some meat in those words, and I need to dig it out a little bit here and figure out what's going on. So let me open this sermon today uh, with this story, okay? Three little old ladies were traveling down the road when they got pulled over by a highway patrolman. The patrolman walked up to the car and said to the driver, Ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over today? When I was reading, when I was reading this, I was thinking about the three sisters here, okay? I was thinking about the three sisters. Yeah, with, with Angela at the wheel, okay? She says, he says, Ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over today? She says, No, I don't, said the little old lady behind the wheel. He says, Ma'am, I pulled you over today because you, of the speed that you were driving, said the officer. Sir, that's just a bit absurd, she says. I was doing the exact speed limit. Well, the officer was confused and kindly said to the lady, Ma'am, I'm sorry, but I clocked you on my radar only doing 20 miles an hour. She says, that's what I'm trying to tell you, officer. I was doing the exact speed limit. See that sign over there? It says 20 miles per hour right there. She said while pointing to a sign on the side of the road. With a chuckle, the officer said, Ma'am, that's the sign telling you that you're traveling on Highway 20. I'm going to let you off with a warning. But please be more aware of the street signs and your surroundings. So as he turned to walk away, he saw another little old lady in the back seat who was completely broken down, breathing heavy, grasping at her seat in distress. The officer then turned around and asked the driver, is she okay in the back seat? She says, oh, yes, she said. The little, oh, the little old lady behind the steering wheel said, oh, yes, she's fine. We just got off of Highway 185. Yeah. Huh? Char's in the back seat. She's fine. So the, the little old lady in the back seat was experiencing what we all call distress, okay? And I want to talk to you about just a little bit about that today. And if, if you look at the word distress, the word stress is hanging right off the end of it, okay? Right at the back side of it, and there is good reason for that. The definition of stress reads like this, the feeling of being overwhelmed or unable to cope with mental or emotional pressure. The definition of distress, on the other hand, says this, a feeling of extreme worry, sadness, or pain, exhausted, or weakened with strain, or troubled. So distress is just like another car length in front of stress, okay? Just a big, giant step in that direction. You know, there are ships that go out to sea, and when they get in trouble, they do distress calls. They put out a distress, distress call, letting everyone out there and around them know that they are in trouble, Okay? Some of us are probably old enough to remember a cartoon or an old movie where the bad guy 
I'll call him Snidely Whiplash, ties the woman to the railroad tracks. She's known as a damsel in distress. Okay? So there's distress all around us, unfortunately. Um, the most powerful people in the world, they can't avoid distress. Doesn't matter. Dude, doesn't matter if it's Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or one of those guys like that. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they're a big time politician. They're going to have some distress and stress in their lives. The richest of the rich, they can't avoid it. Their money can't buy them peace and happiness. We all know that. And even the most spiritual of the spiritual are going to be confronted with this sometime, somewhere in their lives. Okay? They may be great spiritual leaders. I'm sure the Pope has bad days too, you know? I mean, come on now. Um, so distress is common to each and every one of us, okay? I just want to kind of lay that out for you right there. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says that David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. I guess I'd be distressed too if somebody was wanting to haul me out behind the, the shed and throw rocks at me. That would, uh, that would not make my day, not make your day either. Mark chapter 14 says this, even Jesus couldn't escape distress. The Bible says that he was perfect without sin. But Mark 14, 33 says, he, Jesus, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Then in the next verse, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Well, this is the scene that took place out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was trying to pray this thing through. Even, talk, even talking to God a couple times in the garden, he said, Lord, Father, if this cup could pass from me, I'd, I'd sure appreciate it. I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he was feeling the, really the weight of the world. But he said he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I don't know if you've ever been that stressed or de-stressed, distressed. I, I, I don't know that I've ever been to that point. Um, but that's some heavy distress. That's, that's a deep valley to walk through. Amen? When we are distressed, it affects us in a variety of ways. Um, and if you're a note taker... By all means, write these down. Number one is sorrow. Sorrow. We just read where Jesus himself, in times of distress, he was overwhelmed with sorrow. Number two is weariness. The psalmist said in 57 and 6, he said, I am weary from distress. It had beat him down. Number three is lack of sleep. Anybody struggle with it? Seems like the older I get, the less I really enjoy sleep. Um... This morning, for instance, um, typically on a Sunday when I speak, I don't come to rehearsal, don't play with the band on those days. I just stay home a little later, sleep a little later. Teresa lets me sleep until 8 o'clock on those mornings when I speak. Not this morning. We had a house full of company, but a very busy, hectic week. We had that big memorial here yesterday for Darla. And uh, so this morning, my alarm goes off at 6.30 because I'm the chauffeur that gets to drive everybody to the airport first thing this morning. So I'm like, well, there goes my lovely Sunday morning sleep-in opportunity. So um, if I seem a little foggy brain, um, probably because I, I, I missed an hour and a half of sleep. But lack of sleep in Psalm 77, David is going through a really tough season of distress. And he says, I can't even close my eyes, God. You won't let me sleep. David's, you know, he's kind of complaining about things there. Number four uh, is the way we are affected is feeling overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed. When I get a mental picture of feeling overwhelmed, I think of a surfer who's trying to stay up with that pipeline curl. And they're surfing on that thing and surfing on that thing, but eventually nature wins out and comes over the top of them with great force and great rage and just hammers them right into the bottom of the ocean, right into the sand, face plant, you know? 
That's how being overwhelmed sometimes can affect you and I. I mean, you know, I don't know how else, how else to describe it. Um, Proverbs 1 and 27 is my scripture at this point. It says, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. That's what the Bible says. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get to a point and circumstances in life have dealt us a tough hand. And, uh, and distress begins to rob us of these things. Sorrow comes our way. Weariness comes our way. Lack of sleep comes our way. And feeling overwhelmed comes our way. David was so overwhelmed in this Psalm 77, he really didn't know how to pray or what to pray. He, he, he was at the end of himself. But we're not here to just focus on all of the effects of distress. But I'm here to share with you today that there is an answer to your distress. Amen? Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians, we're going to get into some, uh, some in-depth study. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where I'm headed. But if you look at, if you read through, through 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul's had all kinds of hardships come his way, okay? Chapter 4, he says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles. In chapter 5, he goes on to say, we cry out in frustration. Chapter 6, he says, we've been beaten up, we've been jailed, slandered, ignored, beaten within an inch of our lives, immersed in tears, living on handouts, and have pretty much nothing. This is the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. So in chapter 7, where we're going to go today, he turns to the topic of distress. Okay, And I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible because it just spoke so well to me. And I believe Michael's going to have this up on 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. And I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. It says, When we arrived in Macedonia province, we couldn't settle down. The fights in the church and the fears in our heart, hearts kept us on pins and needles. We couldn't relax because we didn't know how it would turn out. Then the God who lifts us up the downcast lifted our heads and our hearts with the arrival of Titus. We were glad just to see him, but the true reassurance came in what he told us about you, how much you cared, how much you grieved, how concerned you were for me. I went from worry to tranquility in no time. And I know distress. I distress you greatly with my letter. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel at all bad now that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Now, I'm, I'm in verse 9. Now I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. Wow. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from Him. The result was all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. Man, I underlined that in my passage. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. I don't want to live with regrets. Verse 11, And now isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? You're more alive. You're more concerned. You're more sensitive. You're more reverent. You're more human more passionate, more responsible. Look at it from any angle. You've come out of this with purity of heart. Boy. And that is what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote my letter. My primary concern was not for the one who did the wrong or even the one who wronged, but for you, that you would realize and act upon the deep, deep ties between us and God. So Paul points out a number of common sources 
of distress in this passage, but he's also got some encouraging things to say. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is change. Change. Most of us don't like change. Um, We as a church are in the middle of change. We don't have a crystal ball to look inside and see what that's going to look like. And poor old Paul, he traveled so much, he was always changing locations. And typically he was changing under duress or distress. You know, he really wasn't having much fun. But he said those words in the first little bit. When we arrived in Macedonia, Macedonia, we couldn't even settle down. We could not even settle down. Which brings me to number two. There's uncertainty when there's distress. He says we couldn't relax because we didn't know how it would turn out. I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Wow. We didn't know how it would turn out. And this is not all about me today, folks. This is just me being real with you, okay? Hoping hoping that this word will help you in whatever you come up against in your life. How many of you worry from time to time? Maybe once in a while? Okay, yeah, that's, we're being honest with one another, and it's, it's a natural response. But the word worry comes from an old English word that I couldn't pronounce, so I didn't even put it in here. But it meant, originally it meant to strangle. Worry means to strangle. And if you're a worrywart, you know that that sense of worry can, can strangle the life out of you sometimes. Amen? Uncertainty and worry is distressing because you can't relax. It strangles your peace. That was my point for bringing those words to light. It strangles your peace. Number three in this section, fears of the heart. Fears of the heart. He says in his passage, the fears in our heart kept us on pins and needles. He was just being honest with him. Number four, tension and conflict. He mentions fights in the church. I'm thankful we're in a church where we don't fight. That is wonderful. Uh, I've been a part of churches where they, they just thrived on fighting. It was absurd. I, I've, I've been in, uh, I remember years and years ago, we were in a church in Concord, California, and there was a vote to reaffirm the pastor. And the vote didn't go the way we thought it was going to. And one whole side of the church got up and left, walked out when that vote happened. And I thought, oh my Lord, the body of Christ is taking a beating and a black eye tonight, aren't they? So, yeah, fights in the church. Don't, don't be fighting with one another. Tension and conflict, you just, yeah, 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 yeah. Or here's number five, misunderstandings, correction, and discipline. I think Paul did a lot of this. I think in his travels, I think he was going from church to church to church addressing issues that these particular churches were struggling with, and it was his job to bring correction to the situation. He says, I know I distressed you greatly with my letter, but he went on to say, eh, it's okay. You'll You'll survive. You'll live, okay? And number six there is just plain old bad news, okay? These are common sources of distress. My scripture in Philippians chapter 2 and 26 says, He, Aphroditus, was very distressed that you heard he was ill. So these letters are changing hands between church and church leaders, and uh, there's, there's a little stress going on there, okay? But here in Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 7, Paul also mentions two sources of encouragement, and that's where I want to get to today. So if you're taking notes, write down number one is God. Just good old God. Okay? Because verse 6, in that passage we just read, says the God who lifts up the downcast lifted our heads and our hearts. See, eventually that's, that's where you got to go. And back to 1 Samuel 30 and 6, one of my first scriptures. I'll read the whole thing. David was greatly distressed, but David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David knew where his source was. Amen? He knew where to go get that $5 a gallon gas. Hmm? Yeah encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
And under a sub, little subtitle here, A, he did it through prayer. He did it through prayer. That was the first place that he went. Psalm 34 and 4 in the Passion Translation says, Listen to my testimony. I cried to God in my distress, and he answered me. Yes, he did. And he freed me from all of my fears. I love that. He freed me. He, he got rid of my fears. Or Psalm 118 and 5 says, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me free. Some of us need some freedom today, amen? Got to go, do it, back to, go back to God. And he did it through prayer. Letter B, he did it through rehearsing God's faithfulness. See, David was a church boy. He'd, he'd grown up in the house of God and he knew what God was capable of. And in Psalm 77, he spends the first nine verses telling us how distressed he really is, okay? But then he gets to verse 11 and verse 12, and everything changes. And it's wonderful. He shifts gears. And he says this, But then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful, wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. When you get a little down, you get a little distress in your life, what do you do? You go to God in prayer, and you rehearse God's faithfulness that you've seen. It's like the young man spoke about, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Amen? God's faithfulness in our lives. Let me share this thought with you that I put down. When you're distressed, first of all, pour out your heart to God. Okay? Second thing is, soak yourself in the promises of God. And thirdly, rehearse his faithfulness. Amen? Let me repeat that again. When you are distressed and you're in bad shape, pour out your heart to God. Soak yourself in the promises of God and rehearse his faithfulness. The second thing to encourage us is the body of Christ. We're family. It was so fun to see all those folks here yesterday. We had about 200 people in attendance yesterday for Darla's funeral. And uh, Bill Sanders was the officiant. I had the day off and just sat in the sound booth. It was heavenly. And uh, so Bill's up here talking, and he says... How many of you uh, are from Roseburg or were in the Roseburg youth group? And there was about four rows of people, all adults, sitting right here, all kind of our age or younger, and they all raised their hands. And it was so good to see these folks that were our family back then in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and then to see them now. They're becoming grandmas and grandpas and showing us their photos. And it's just wonderful to be around the body of Christ. Amen? Paul was distressed. And then who shows up? Titus. His buddy Titus shows up. And Paul says, we were glad just to see him. We were glad just to see him. So there's something about being with other faith-filled, God-loving believers that does wonders to, that when you're in distress. They can change your outlook on things. They can make you laugh, make you smile. Uh, it's just wonderful. It, 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 it's amazing what that kind of fellowship can do for you. God never meant for us to go through life alone, to fight our battles alone. And if you're attempting to deal with distress on your own, oh boy, that only leads to more distress. Yeah, it only leads to more. So surround yourself with believers who carry a good and positive message. And to me, as I read that passage, it's clear that Titus was that guy. He was that guy. He probably had a big old smile on his face, and he was, he was an encourager. Of people, And when he showed up, Paul said, man, the party got better. The party got better. Life got better. Paul says, I, literally in, in the passage, I went from worry to tranquility in no time. 
So distress will either drive you from God or it'll drive you to God. Looking back at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 again, in the message, verse 9, it says, You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from Him. The result was all gain and no loss. I'll take all gain and no loss for 200, Alex. Uh, anybody, any Jeopardy fans in the house? You, you know what I'm talking about. You get to pick a category. I'll pick that one. I'll take all gain, no loss. Thank you so much. I love it. That's wonderful. Paul says, yep, that's for me. That's where I'm headed. Let me give you this little quote. We may think we are at the end of our rope, but we are never at the end of our hope. Okay? Can I say that again? We may think we are at the end of our rope, but we are never at the end of our hope. Amen. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or under distress, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's the promise you can stand on today. Amen? Uh, I'm going to invite uh, the band to come back. We're going to close with a song in a moment. But I just as I close, um, how many of you have been watching the war in Ukraine on the television? How can you not? It's on every channel, right? It's kind of the elephant in the room, so to speak. And I got to thinking about the distress that people are under. Obviously, the people in the country that are fleeing, what is it, up to three and a half million that have had to flee their homes. They had to pack a suitcase and head out of town kind of thing. Uh, others chose to hunker down in, in uh, the railway system and subway systems, and, and they're just trying to survive over there. And uh, But it's been bringing uh, much distress in their lives. And I thought, you know, it's, it's in its current... It's, it's in the news currently, and it's in our face every night, just like COVID was for the last two years. Ukraine is right there. And uh, I know there's lots of opinions about wild man Putin and what his purposes are. Um, my opinion is, and I don't want to get into politics, I just think the man is devil-possessed. I, I, I think he's the devil's little brother. And he's, he's walking into a country that is affluent. He's marched into a country that is 66% born-again Christians. I read that this week on a, on, a, on a news article. I thought, well, no wonder this devil maniac is doing what he's doing because he's trying to crush Christianity with his military. He doesn't want people to love God. He doesn't want people to serve God. He wants to be that image. He wants to be that idol in their lives. He wants to be their hero. So I thought about this, and I've had people here in the church and others online and friends ask me, well, Mike, how long do you think it will last? I don't know. It's lasted longer than I thought it would. Um, I honestly thought there would be other people, other countries come to their aid and, uh, and lend a hand, but that hasn't happened. Um, are we headed into World War III? That's, the, that's a real interesting question. When a believer or a young believer that don't, they don't know a lot about the Bible or end times prophecy and stuff, are we headed into World War III? Well, I don't know. Putin and Biden kind of seem set on it. They kinda, it's, like, it's like two bullies in the, play, in the, in the playground. They're nose-to-nose with fists coupled up. And ready to go at it. And they don't really count the cost of who else it's going to hurt or what kind of damage it's going to do. I don't, you know, I don't get that. And then the, the other question that's been asked of me is, does God even care? Does God really care? Well, I know, I know he cares at least about 66% of the population there, but realistically, God cares about them all. And, he, and I'm sure God cares whether or not we enter, in, enter into World War III. Because I don't think there's a winner when it comes to that. Ain't nobody going to survive that one, folks. But let me tell you what the Bible says, okay? And we'll close this up. Matthew 24, 6 through 8. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed or distressed. Okay? 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Well, you say, well, what kind of birth pains, Mike? The second coming of Christ. Huh? The bride of Christ is giving birth to this thing. Um, and here's an answer that I love. Psalm 46 and 9, and, and then we'll sing. So he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. How's that for promise? Trust God, as Pastor told Dennis Connor. Trust God, amen? Stand with us today. Let's, uh, let's sing this before we go out.